0: Last week, I began a two-part message on the necessity of preaching the gospel. The necessity of preaching the gospel. And I pointed out to you that when we think of preaching the gospel, we oftentimes immediately go to some man in a suit and tie, standing behind a pulpit, preaching a sermon, That certainly is one of the central areas and domains of gospel preaching. But as we saw last week, it is not the only. There is also a sense, a very vital and important sense, in which every disciple of Jesus Christ is called to be a preacher of the gospel. You may never step foot in a pulpit and preach a sermon. But God requires you. Yes, I, He requires you. It's not an option. This isn't, this isn't something for the specially gifted people. You know, God calls all of us to be proclaimers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, in the way we live, but chiefly through our speech, as we communicate. I, I, I'm not a fan of that quote. you know, preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. The very word preach requires you to use words. You must use words. Your life and your testimony and your character and your conduct should accompany the message that you preach, but your life alone will save no one. Your life, your Christian life, your testimony is not the power of God unto salvation. The gospel is the power of God into salvation. Now, your life could severely help or hinder the message that you preach. Your life could also be used by God to convict or encourage or persuade uh, or cause someone to think. Uh, but your life alone, it's kind of like general revelation and special revelation. You know, God has revealed himself in two ways, general revelation, special revelation. General revelation refers to the light of nature. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament showeth His handiwork. God reveals Himself in nature. But natural revelation is not sufficient. We need special revelation. We need the Word of God. So too it is, with, with you as a preacher of the gospel, you have this general revelation of the way you live your life and your character and your demeanor. But that's not sufficient. You need the special revelation of the message that God has called you to proclaim. Well, with that said, I must now make a confession. And I made this confession to those who were at our prayer meeting on Wednesday night, but I'll make it this morning publicly. It didn't even take me 24 hours to fail. Can you imagine that a pastor that fails at his own preaching? I preached last Sunday on the importance of being evangelistic, spreading the gospel, sharing the gospel, and the next day I was at work. And you know, I started a, a new job teaching there at the classical school, and uh, I went to Walmart to buy some things for my classroom. And as I was walking through Walmart, I only had a, a limited amount of time because I had to get back to the school for a parent-teacher uh, conference assembly type deal where I was gonna be you know, introduced as a new faculty member. So it's pretty important that I not be late to that. Talk about making impressions. So I'm in Walmart and I'm kind of buzzing around and I've got my list and I see these two men clad in short sleeve white shirts and solid-color ties with little black name tags on their pocket. You know who I'm talking about. Our wonderful friends uh, from the Church of Latter-day Saints, missionaries as they call them, elders as they call them. And... My first thought that that popped into my mind was, well, it would be nice to talk to them, but I don't have time. So I made no attempt to approach them or talk to them. And I got my cart, and I'm heading to checkout. And then I remember the sermon that I preached, not even 24 hours earlier. And I said, I can't do that. And so I reached into my wallet, and I pulled out one of our church tracks, and I turned my cart around. And I go looking for them, and I can't find them. They're gone. And I mean, I, I don't know where they went, because I, I walked back to where I saw them, and then I walked all the way up that aisle, and I was looking down the aisles, and I thought, I don't have time to get into a discussion, but I could at least give them this track that has my phone number on the back, and I could say, give me a call sometime, and I'd love to talk more with you when I have the time. And I failed. I did not uh, find success in contacting them
1: was unable
0: to preach the gospel to them and share the gospel with them. And um, talk about a lesson, right? So it's one thing to get into a pulpit on Sunday and to preach a a very rah-rah sermon about being evangelistic, and then it's another thing to actually do it, to actually go out and do it. So... Uh, we said, I don't think I said it in the sermon last Sunday, but I know we talked about it. We, we, Someone said, you know, I don't need to pray that God would give me more opportunities. I just need to pray that He would help me to be obedient to all of the opportunities. And my disobedience, because you know that delayed obedience is not obedience. My disobedience to the Holy Spirit in that moment uh, and my selfishness of thinking, well, I don't have time and I need to... Uh, caused me to... Fail at an opportunity that was presented to me to, because you know they would have been more than willing to talk to me, um, but uh, I failed. And so may God give us the grace to to be obedient and to share the gospel and not to turn away from those opportunities. Well, I want to share that with you because. I don't ever want, especially as I'm preaching a sermon like this. I don't ever want to come across as though I have this thing mastered and I've got it all figured out, and I'm just Mister Evangelism. and And uh, you know, you people need to come to my level. No, I'm I'm with you in this. I'm with you in the same struggles and in the same battles to be uh, a better follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I fail at that, but God is good and God is gracious, and uh, I'm sure that. Those won't be the last Mormon missionaries that I get to see. No. And I'm also sure that next time I see some out and about, I'm going to be a whole lot more eager to approach them and to share the gospel with them. So, remember last week we looked at just three uh, reasons why the gospel must be preached. The necessity of preaching the gospel begs the question, why is it necessary? So, we looked at the fact that the gospel is the power of God into salvation And then we looked at the fact that the gospel, or preaching the gospel, is the precedence of the church. And I took you through several portions of scripture in the book of Acts and showed you the the description that, that we see of apostolic gospel preaching. And then we looked at our third reason, because it is the prescription of Christ. And we saw that... In the Great Commission, and we looked specifically at Mark's account of the Great Commission that um, our Lord tells us, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. How much more explicit could he be? And so this week, I'm going to finish up, and I, and I give you that review because I'm going to begin at point number four. And so if you weren't here last Sunday... Uh, that review hopefully helps you to understand where we're where we're coming from but that sermon last Sundays is on our sermon audio and so will we'll this one uh, later this evening. so I would encourage you to go back and review the first one if, if some of this is not jiving with your mind and your memory this morning. but let me begin this morning with point number four on the necessity of preaching the gospel and that is because of the perilous, consequences of not preaching the gospel why must we preach the gospel because there are severe consequences for not preaching the gospel and to show you that I'll ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Galatians chapter 1 Galatians chapter 1 there will not be as much turning this week as last week so uh, don't be afraid of following along Galatians chapter one. Galatians is an interesting epistle. Galatians has a has a different beginning than all of Paul's other ecclesiastical letters, the letters he wrote to churches. That that difference in the beginning is that there is no section here where Paul spends time praising God for the church and expressing his thankfulness to the church. Uh, he gives his General introduction, and then he jumps right in with a scathing rebuke that begins at verse 6. And he says this in Galatians 1 and verse 6. He says, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. Then he says very quickly in verse 7, Which is not another But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. And notice this just scathing rebuke in verse 8. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. What Paul is saying there is if anyone comes and preaches any other gospel, let him die and go to hell. Let him face the wrath of God. He says, anyone preaches another gospel, God damn him. That is what that word means, anathema. It's strong, strong language. And it's strong language because there is a perilous consequence to not preaching the gospel. Let me see if I can give you some context to this rebuke. There were a group within the Galatian church that we call the Judaizers. And what they were doing was they were seditiously, they were doing it on purpose. It wasn't just an error that happened from theological ignorance. No, they were intentionally perverting the gospel. The specific way in which they were doing it was they were including works back into the gospel. So they were saying, "Yes, Jesus is the Messiah and yes, he's died on the cross and yes, you know, that that substitutionary death that he died is 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 essential and is important, but it's not enough. If you really want to be a Christian, if you really want to be saved, you need to go back and you need to keep the law of Moses as well as having faith in Christ." They added an element of works and law-keeping in with the gospel of free and sovereign grace. But you know very well, brothers and sisters, that to add to the gospel is to take away from the gospel. Right. So Paul, the same apostle who said in Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. And we talked about what that meant, you know, that... Why might someone be ashamed of the gospel? Well, because the gospel message is that you can do nothing. Your good works accomplish nothing. You can't earn your salvation. You can't merit your salvation. And that message is offensive to proud people. Oftentimes, I think I've said this to you before, oftentimes it's easier in our evangelism to give someone a to-do list than it is to preach the gospel to them. Well, come to church, read your Bible, pray, you know, do, do, do this, and then you'll be a Christian. And then a proud person hears that and says, great, something for me to do. But that's not the gospel, is it? Well, the gospel is weary, working, toiling one. Wherefore, told you so, quit your doing. All was done long, long ago. When He, from off His lofty throne, stooped to do and die, everything was fully done, Hearken to His cry. That's the gospel. That Jesus paid it all. that, That He said on the cross, it is finished. So how could we ever add in an element of our own works or our own accomplishments to this message of God's free and sovereign grace? Well, we can't. And if we do, Paul says, let us be accursed. Let us be accursed. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this message that is, the, that is the iron hammer that smashes and crushes the pride of man. I'm not ashamed of this message. And the same apostle who was not ashamed of the gospel confronted this false gospel in no uncertain terms. Notice in Galatians chapter 1, he says, I marvel. I marvel. He, he is shocked. One of the reasons why he's so shocked is because of how soon this happened. Paul ministered in Galatia, helped to establish the church in Galatia, and it did not take long at all. In fact, it's as if Paul goes to Galatia, preaches the gospel, God does a wonderful thing, a church is born, Paul leaves the city, goes to the next city, and he the first report he hears, he finds out that already they are... They are believing this false gospel. He can't believe it. So soon. You were so soon removed. This shows us, brothers and sisters, the danger of a false gospel. You've, you've heard the old adage that bad news travels like wildfire and good news travels slow. Well, So it is oftentimes with heresy in a church And sometimes it it can take years of preaching the truth and, and slowly establishing biblical teaching and biblical principles to see a church conform to the truth of the Word of God. But you get a false teacher in there that preaches a heresy and people latch onto it like honey. Every church, no matter how strong, is one generation away from total apostasy. And so Paul saw that this Galatian church was about to head into a direction that would have caused absolute destruction to the work that God was doing there. And so he says, I can't believe it. I'm marveled. I'm shocked at what I'm hearing. Notice also in verse 6 that Paul says this, I'm shocked that you are so soon removed from Him that called you. He doesn't just say you're removed from Reformed theology or you're removed from our 1689 London Baptist Confession or you're removed from sound teaching. No, you are removed from God Himself. Now if someone, if someone abandons the doctrine of believers baptism, we might be able to say you, you are removed from uh, apostolic baptism. You're removed from the Baptists and now you're a Presbyterian. But we would never say God forbid that we would ever say that just because someone holds to a different view on baptism, well, they're just removed from God. Do you understand the severity of this? Paul says, your error is not just a minor doctrinal issue. You are removed from God. You're removed from the Holy Spirit. You're removed from the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's exactly what happens if you believe a false gospel. Removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another. Paul says this other gospel is not a gospel at all. What does the word gospel mean? It means the good news, the evangelion. And Paul says this gospel is not a gospel. It's not good news. It doesn't bring salvation. It doesn't bring redemption. It doesn't bring deliverance from sin. No, it's bad news. Because it brings condemnation and wrath. Calvin says, commenting on this verse, when you leave the real gospel, you're left with nothing more than an imaginary Christ. Those words not gripping to you. That it doesn't matter if you call it church, if you call it the Bible, if you call it Jesus, It doesn't matter what you call it. If it's not the true gospel as revealed in the word of God, you have an imaginary religion. Your Jesus is not real. He says it's another gospel, which is not another. He says, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. They were intentionally mixing in this Galatian heresy, which the Galatian heresy, by the way, is legalism. They were mixing in legalism into the gospel. And the propagation of a false gospel invokes the strongest declaration of divine condemnation. Paul says, The we... So, Paul says, if I preach a false gospel, let me be accursed. Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be cursed. The longer I'm in the ministry, the more I realize that the things that Christians often fight about are not worth fighting about. There are so many doctrines and so many practices about which we can and should peacefully disagree. I I, I don't really have any desire to fight over different views about the end times so long as they're within the bounds of orthodoxy. If you believe in a literal second coming of Jesus Christ, a literal resurrection from the dead, a literal judgment of all people, beyond that, uh, uh, let's sit around, let's talk about it, but let's not fight about it. Mm -hmm. I don't really have any desire to fight and be contentious about translations of the English Bible. I'll talk to you about it. I'll explain to you why I believe that versions that come from the received text are... Better than those that aren't. But at the end of the day, so long as you have a, a credible translation, you're not, you know, you're not uh, getting up in the morning and reading the message. As long as you're not doing that, then I have no fight with you. I have no bone to pick with you. Even important things. Even important things such as, the, I already mentioned, such as the doctrine of baptism. If, if you are convinced in, at the, in, in your heart of hearts that God would have you to baptize your children, then you go and do that at a church where they do that. I'm not going to do that. I love you in the Lord. You are my brother and sister. And if you go home and you walk into my study, you will see shelf after shelf of Reformed and Paedo-Baptist authors, primarily because it's hard for Baptists to write books when we're running for our lives. That's another sermon. Brothers and sisters, we cannot tolerate for one second a perversion of the gospel. Because when you start to pervert the gospel, you're removing me from Christ. When you start to pervert the gospel, you're leading me down a path that leads to damnation and destruction. When you start to pervert the gospel, there is no salvation. And so if we're going to fight, if we're going to contend, let it be for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not what Jude said? Now I think some people think when Jude says that you would earnestly contend for the faith, they just think that means anything. We're going to earnestly contend for the fa- What is the faith? It's the gospel that brings salvation. That's what we're going to earnestly contend for. There are perilous consequences of not preaching the gospel. Brothers and sisters, this is true, yes, primarily for men that have been given a pulpit ministry. But it is also true for you in your personal life. You must make sure that as you evangelize, that as you share the gospel, that as you share this good news, that it is the gospel that has been revealed by the Lord Jesus Christ to His apostles, and that is inscripturated in the Word of God. Oh, don't spread a false gospel. I don't think anyone in this church would <laughs> intentionally spread a false gospel, but make sure that whatever message it is that you are sharing with the world, you're, you're guarding it and checking it and reproving it with your Bible. And make sure that you're not doing your theology in a vacuum. You know, it it is amazing how we oftentimes will have such a high esteem for what the Holy Spirit is doing in our church, in our century, but we don't care at all about what the Holy Spirit did in the church in the 1st century, in the 2nd century, in the 3rd century, in the 4th century, in the 5th century in the 6th century, so on and so forth. And even, even my, my Mormon friends that I see in Walmart and I should evangelize, you know, their heresy is really nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. Every now and then, you know, every time I think I've heard it all, I hear some new wacko belief. But even those new wacko beliefs, usually you can find within them something that has already been dealt with by some church father with a really long last name, that lived in North Africa or Egypt or wherever he lived 2,000 years ago. And so make sure that the gospel you preach is that apostolic gospel. Make sure that it is the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of Paul and the gospel uh, of Augustine and the gospel of, of the men that God has used. The gospel, yes, I would even say of Spurgeon and Calvin and this gospel that God has used in our land to... Plant churches and save sinners. We don't want a new gospel. We want this gospel that Paul has earnestly contending for and has presented to us because there's perilous consequences of not preaching the gospel. Well, that's our fourth reason. Fifthly, why must we preach the gospel? Let me throw you for a loop. Maybe it won't. Maybe it will. We must preach the gospel because of the perseverance of the saints. Take your Bibles and and turn with me to 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 in verse 13. We must preach the gospel because of the perseverance of the saints. Now the reason I say that perhaps this might throw some of you for a loop is because you're thinking, well brother, you're talking about evangelizing the lost and you're talking about preaching the gospel so that God would save sinners. What does that have to do with the perseverance of the saints? I thought the gospel was just a message that sinners believe to get in, but then once they're in, they need something else to actually grow and live the Christian life. If you, if you think that, quit thinking that, please. That's putting it very kindly. The gospel is not just a message that converts. The gospel is also the message that sanctifies and secures and perseveres. You don't you don't start the Christian life through faith in the gospel, but then somehow get into heaven uh, through the addition of your works. The gospel and faith in the gospel that first saved your soul will be the gospel that will keep your soul saved, and it will be the gospel that will bring final salvation or prefer to call it the final vindication of your salvation on the last day. Because of the perseverance of the saints. Notice what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2, in verse 13. He says, But we are bound to give thanks all way to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. Now notice this, through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth, Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel is not only the means that God uses to save us, it is the means he uses to keep us saved. He called us by the gospel, but what did he call us to? What does verse 14 say he called us to? He called us to the obtaining of the glory of. Of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that mean? The obtaining of the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I'm sorry, Creflo, it does not mean that you will become divine. It does not mean that you obtain the divine nature and that you become a little God. It's not what that means. You don't obtain the divine nature of the Lord Jesus Christ. To obtain the glory of Of the Lord Jesus Christ is not speaking of his essential glory as the God man, but it's speaking of the personal glory that that he dwells in as a glorified man. Who is sitting at the right hand of God? The God man. The Lord Jesus Christ. He is man. He, He has a man's body. But it's not like our body, it's a glorified body. He's the first fruits of that resurrection. He's the only human being that's ever been glorified. And he he was glorified first with the promise that there's coming a day in which all of his people will be resurrected and we all will be glorified in the same way that he is glorified. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God and it doth not yet appear what we shall be but we know that When he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. (coughs) We're going to be like him in the sense that we're going to obtain the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But you understand that this is not really a new theme or a new concept. It was this glory that was offered to Adam way back in the garden. When God said, Adam, I want you to exercise dominion over the whole earth. I want you to reign over all the beasts of the field. And if you do that, if you obey me, Adam, you will inherit glory. That's what was offered to Adam in the garden. Adam was not just meant to wander around in the garden forever. He was meant to inherit glory. But he sinned. And what happens when he sins? Romans 3, 23. For all have sinned and done what? Fallen short of the glory of God. What's interesting about that verse is the tenses of the verbs. For all have sinned refers, it's in an aorist perfect, and it refers to one time in, in world history, one time in which every human being that ever lived sinned. There was one instance of time in which you and me and all of us and everybody else who's ever lived in every age sinned. How could that be? We've all lived at different times. How could I sin at the same time that someone living a thousand years ago sinned? Because we all sinned in Adam. But, when it speaks of falling short, it's not talking about one time. It's, all, it's talking about we all personally fall short. And we don't obtain the glory of God. Romans 3.23 is not simply saying, though that's true, but it's not simply saying that, well, because of our sins, we don't bring glory to God like we ought to. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that we do not obtain the glory of God because we've sinned. We've fallen short of it. Oh, but there was another, brothers and sisters, a second Adam, who came from heaven, who entered into the same covenantal relationship as our first Adam, who, who, who took upon himself the same covenant that he would perfectly, personally, and perpetually obey the Father. And unlike our first Adam, Adam, the second Adam did not fail. He said, I do always those things which please the Father. He said, my meat is to do the will of Him that sent me. And what does the Bible say of him? It says that our Lord Jesus Christ, He is the captain of our salvation, and He brings many sons to glory. He kept the covenant He received glory. He is glorified. And all those who are united to Him receive that same glory. He called you by our gospel unto the obtaining of the glory of Jesus Christ. There's There's another application here and meaning here to this. And that's this, that as we put on the glory of Christ, we become the glory of Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, what I mean is that there's coming a day in which our Lord Jesus Christ will receive glory because all of His glorified children will be sitting around His throne. Mm -hmm. All of His redeemed saints will be glorified before Him. And on that day, the the merits of His death and what He accomplished on Calvary's cross will be revealed before all heaven and all the worship that will ensue. Not only do we share in His glory, we are His glory. And the Bible says in Hebrews that He despised the shame and He endured the cross. Why did He despise the shame and endure the cross? For the joy was set before Him. What was the joy set before Him? It was that day that He looked forward to when He saw of the travail of his soul and he was satisfied and he knew that through his death he would bring many sons to glory. And it is this gospel, brothers and sisters, it is this faith in the gospel that God uses to persevere us in the Christian life. The perseverance of the saints is really the perseverance of the Son in the saints. You don't stay saved because of your hold on Christ. You stay stay saved because of His hold on you. That's why you persevere. Because He's the author and finisher of our faith and everything in between. That's why we sing, He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, He will hold me fast. It is through our faith in the Gospel, but even that faith is His gift that He gives to us, whereby we are united to Him and secured with Him. And just as sure as He right now, as I'm preaching these words to you, just as sure as He is seated next to God the Father, enthroned in glory, so too shall we one day sit with Him before His throne. So we preach the Gospel because the perseverance of the saints Sixthly, we preach the gospel because it promotes the glory and worship of God. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14. Notice, Revelation. There's no S. It's not many revelations. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Revelation 14. And... Look with me at verse 6. Revelation 14 and verse 6. John the Apostle writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue And people saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to Him, for the hour of His judgment is come, and worship Him that made heaven and earth, and the sea, and the fountains of waters. Now, there are many different interpretations about what specifically is going on in this passage. Who is the angel? When is this taking place? Has this already taken place? Is it going to take place? I'm not going to get into any of those details because what, I'm, what I want to point out to you is no matter how you take these verses, the central message here is the same and that central message is that the gospel is a call for all people to ascribe glory to God and worship Him. Amen. Amen. This angel is flying around with the everlasting gospel. That's, that is the same gospel, by the way. Don't believe these shysters that would tell you that, well, there's Jesus' gospel and then there's Paul's gospel, but then there's coming a day in which we have this everlasting gospel and there's three different gospels for three different salvific dispensations. No, it's everlasting. That's what the word means. One and only. The gospel is everlasting because it brings everlasting life. The gospel is everlasting because the substance of it was established from all eternity. The gospel is everlasting because it is the means through which every sinner has ever been saved. The gospel is everlasting because it is the gospel that was preached by the prophets of the Old Testament. It was preached by John the Baptist. It was preached by the Lord Jesus. It was preached by all of the Apostles. And it's been preached by all true churches of the Lord Jesus Christ throughout all of church history. And by God's grace, it's the gospel that we preach this morning. And it is the everlasting gospel because it is the foundation of all of our worship, both in this life and in the life to come. You never, ever, ever... Exhaust your need for this gospel. This gospel is that which accomplishes the Abrahamic promise. What did God promise Abraham? Abraham of thy seed, I will bless all the nations. What does the Bible say? This everlasting gospel was preached unto them that dwell on the earth, to every nation, every kindred, every tongue. In every people. There is not a white gospel and a black gospel. There is not an American gospel and a Asian gospel. There is not a eighteen hundreds gospel that's old fashioned and boring, and now we need the new two thousand and twenty-three version of the gospel to make it exciting. Oh, it is the ever lasting gospel. And the gospel is that which promotes the glory and the worship of God. Notice the preaching of the gospel. This angel says, fear God. Does the gospel cause you to fear God? It should, in the right kind of way. Not that you are afraid of Him, that you have this terror, but that you have this reverence. Mm -hmm. This holy reverence. Oh, God, you are the God who has who has sent your Son to die upon the cross for unworthy sinners like me. Oh, I revere such a God. I, I can't casually enter into your presence. I, I, I can't just stroll into your abode. But your gospel teaches me that I should approach you with fear, with reverence. Give glory to Him the gospel cause you to give glory to God? Do you praise Him for what He's done in the gospel? We have so many reasons to praise God, don't we? His blessings upon us as individuals. We praise Him for, for health. We praise Him for food. We praise Him for friendships, We praise Him for family. But do you regularly praise Him for the gospel? That He didn't didn't leave you to die in your sins. He didn't leave you to go to hell. You know what God has to do for a man to go to hell? Leave him alone. That's all God has to do for a man to go to hell. But brothers and sisters, aren't you glad that He didn't leave you alone? That there came a point in time in which He passed by your way. And however He did it, Maybe He sent you a preacher. Maybe He sent you a gospel tract. Maybe you heard a sermon on the radio. However, He did it. He saw fit to save you by getting the gospel to you. We give Him glory for that. And we worship Him that made heaven and earth and the sea and the fountain of waters. We must preach the gospel because it promotes the glory and worship of God. That's what the gospel does. You say, what what does the gospel do? Well, the gospel saves sinners. Yes, but why does God save sinners? I remember hearing Paul Washer talk about a conversation he had with a group of missionaries. and, And it was when he was still in Peru and he said that he got this call from a missionary that said, Brother Paul, I must come to Peru. I must join you because... Because I lay, I lay awake at night in bed and I just think of all of those people who are dying and going to hell and I just want to come and preach the gospel so they don't die and go to hell. And Paul says, that's very admirable. But there, you know, there's an even greater reason for wanting to preach the gospel. Said the missionary was kind of surprised. Said what, what could be a greater reason for wanting to preach the gospel than to see sinners saved? He says, I'm glad you've laid awake at night and didn't have any sleep because you were burdened over the souls that were dying and going to hell. But have you ever laid awake at night without any sleep because you were thinking there is a place on the earth where God does not receive the glory that is due unto His name. And I want to go there and I want to preach the gospel so that He will be worshipped. Anytime the gospel is preached, anytime the gospel is preached, God receives glory. When we go out and we preach the gospel in the open air and all we get are some horn honks and some middle fingers, God is glorified. God isn't just glorified when someone is saved. He is glorified when someone is saved. But anytime His gospel is preached, He receives glory. So we preach the gospel because it promotes the glory and worship of God well seventh and finally why must we preach the gospel we must preach the gospel because of a personal constraint because of a personal constraint last place I will ask you to turn 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 16 1 Corinthians nine sixteen. Paul says for though I preach the gospel I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Oftentimes I experience this especially if I'm preaching away at a conference or something. You you preach and of course and it's very kind I'm very thankful for it, but people want to tell you how much they appreciate you. Thank you for your sermon. Thank you for coming. And I often say, you don't understand. It is me who needs to thank you. I need to thank you for the opportunity to preach the gospel because this isn't something I'm doing so that I can brag and boast. This is something I'm doing because there's a necessity laid upon me. I must do this. I love to do this. There's nothing I love more than doing this. Thank you. And if if you weren't here, I'd preach the gospel to an empty room. Paul says, I don't have anything to glory of. Necessity is laid upon me. There's something within me. There's something within me that constrains me and that calls me to preach the gospel. And it's just like a fire in my bones and I just have to do it. Woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel, Paul says. Woe is unto me if I don't preach the gospel. I've got to do it. I've got to preach the gospel. I've got to tell sinners about Jesus Christ. And so, as our last point, I ask you, can you say these words with the Apostle Paul? I must tell. I must tell. Proclaim, I must tell sinners about this gospel. Again, I pointed out last week, there are seasons in your Christian life in which this zeal seems to have ebbs and flows. I don't expect, nor does God expect, any one of us to just be 24-7 just to have this insatiable desire to where we can't do anything else but just go out and stand on a street corner and, and preach for eight hours a day and, and, and go knocking doors and, and sharing the gospel all the time and we just we can't do anything but that. No, there's ebbs and there's flows, but the desire is always there. And let me say to you as clearly as I know how, if that desire is not there, you better check your heart to see if you've ever believed the gospel yourself. I have no confidence in the profession of a Christian who has no desire to see anyone else saved. God has created our souls in such a way as Christians that we want our joy to be overflowing to others. We don't want to be stingy with the grace of God. We don't want to be like Jonah. want to see others come to to know Christ to to bring honor and glory to Christ to join us in the family of God and if that desire is not there at all at all oh, search your heart search your heart but if that desire is there Satisfy that desire. Most of the time you hear preaching, right? And it's like, it's what? It's like, if you have a desire, don't follow your desires, right? Now, the good thing about our Christianity is that God saves you. He gives you desires. And and actually, this might, maybe I'm opening up a can of worms at the end of my sermon that I really shouldn't. But actually, as a Christian, you have a duty to find maximum fulfillment and pleasure in the satisfaction of your own desires that have been given to you by God. Has God saved you? Has He given you a desire to worship Him? Has He given you a desire to read His Word? Has He given you a desire to share the gospel with others? You have a duty to satisfy that desire. Have fun doing it. Find joy in it. Have you ever noticed that perhaps you've been having a, a rough day or you've you you just you, you've been flustered, but then somehow a conversation comes up and you now have the opportunity to talk about Christ and, and it just thrills you and it, it makes you happy as you are sharing the gospel with someone else? Isn't God good in that way? How many times have we um, gone out for an evangelistic outreach and we, you know, we, we're tired or, or we just don't really want to go or maybe it's really hot or maybe it's really cold, but every single time we go out, He never fails to bless us. I don't think we've ever gone out and got done and thought, yeah, that was a waste of time, we shouldn't have done that. That doesn't happen, does it? Why doesn't that happen? Because it's God who who gives you these desires. And it's the flesh that tempts us to not satisfy that desire or to satisfy ourselves with some other desire other than the ones that God has given us. And we have to put those things to death. There is self-denial in the Christian life, but it's not ultimate self-denial. Because if you're a Christian, your ultimate joy is found in serving God. So you don't ultimately deny yourself of your ultimate joy or you'd be denying yourself of God. Self-denial in the Christian life is cutting off your hand any time it reaches out for something that's not God, that's not serving God, that's not glorifying God. You must preach this to yourself. You must must tell this to yourself because it's true and you know it's true. When When you're in bed and it's Sunday morning and you're thinking to yourself, this bed is so comfortable, you must preach to yourself, yes, this bed is comfortable, but I would have more joy in a church pew this Lord's Day morning. When you're with that lost coworker and you're thinking, yes, it would be fun to talk about last Saturday's football game. But you know what? I'll have even more fun talking about Christ. I hope I, hope I don't embarrass our brother. But, you know, he shared with me, he said, you'd have told me six months ago that, that I'd, be, I'd be wanting to go to a conference to hear preaching on opening day of muzzleloader, muzzleloader season. I said, you're crazy. He says, now, I, I, it's not, it's not, I don't want to go, but I'm forcing myself to go because, you know, that's Christianity. I'm going to force myself to do what I don't want to. No, he says, I want to go. You want to share Christ? You want to preach the gospel? You want to proclaim the message of salvation to lost sinners who so desperately need it? It's not complicated. It's not You don't need a PhD or an MDiv or any other letters behind your name to preach the gospel. Just simply tell them of the God who created them for His glory, for communion with Him. But because of their sin, they have been separated from God. They're an enemy of God. And their misery and their troubles come from the fact that they are living in rebellion to their Lord. But you know something they don't know. You know that the way they're living doesn't have to be the way they are living. You know that they don't have to die and face divine condemnation in hell. So tell them what they don't know. Tell them that there is a Savior and that this Savior was no mere man. This Savior was, was God himself, the second person of the Trinity. God himself came to earth and took upon flesh. And he lived a sinless life. He obeyed the law of God. Every time you failed, he obeyed. And he didn't do that for himself, no. Because he went to a cross. And there on the cross, he, he gave his life. He died. And it was, it was actually God the Father who put Him to death. It was actually God the Father who gave His Son to die on that cross. This sinless man died on the cross so that all those who believe in Him could be saved because when you believe in Him, you receive that sinless life that He lived. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And God looks at you sinless as He sees Jesus as sinless. And then you say this to them. And then you say this to them. You look them in the eye and you say, And I love you. And there would, there would be nothing that would bring me more joy as a follower of this God that I've just told you about. There would be nothing that would bring me more joy than to see you receive Christ. Receive Christ. Not accept Jesus into your heart. Receive Christ! That's the biblical language. Receive Christ. And you don't have to you don't have to lead them in a prayer. (laughs) You don't have to Get them to sign a card. Because here's your prayer. After you've done all of that, your prayer is that the Holy Spirit would then take that message that you have just preached to them and use it to do something you could never do. What is your responsibility? To get the gospel to their ears. But it's the Holy Spirit who takes it from their ears and drives it to their heart. And if He does that, they're going to pray. If He does that, they're going to make a decision. I would even say, if He does that, they're going to go to church somewhere. You don't have to give them a to-do list. Just tell them what's already been done by Christ. And may God help us and encourage us as Christians to be determined to do this. To be to, to, to understand that we're not doing it because we don't want to do it and we think we have to do it. We're doing it because we want to do it. May we put the flesh to death and pursue our ultimate joy in doing the service to our Lord for the glory and honor of His name. And may God use our feeble, dumb preaching. He doesn't need us. But He's, he's been pleased to use us Do you you know what God is offering you when you have the ability to preach the gospel? There's not going to be any more people saved because I I preach the gospel. There's not going to be any less people saved if I don't. God doesn't need me. I preach the gospel because God, in His all-wise, sovereign grace, has given me an opportunity to become a participant in what He's doing in the world. You get to be a, you know, Wednesday nights we study redemption accomplished and applied. You get to be a part of that application thing. Isn't that wonderful? God would use me? With all my failures and all my sins and he would use me. Yes, he would use even you. Are you going to be used? Are you going to preach the gospel and share Christ? Do it for his honor, his glory. May Christ receive the prize for which he died. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for your goodness to us. For giving us this wonderful opportunity to participate in what you're doing in our world as you save sinners for your own honor and glory. Use us, Lord. Overcome our our insecurities and overcome our deficiencies and use us to do a mighty thing to save sinners. Oh, may we preach the gospel. May we declare what Christ has done. May you receive all honor and all glory and all praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.